0: Hello everybody and welcome back to the Lana Vienna Street podcast. My name is Tom Jenkins and today I'm joined by LOV's answer to Posh Spice and Bex, Will Jones and James Jarvis. I'll let you two decide which of you is which. Uh, Uh, Whilst everyone has been sadly stuck at home for the last couple of months, we've all been busier than ever recording podcast after podcast with lots of special guests, all of whom I thank for their time and I hope you guys have really enjoyed listening to their stories. Today, we're fortunate enough to bring you another special show with a former Wanderers left back who made 87 appearances for the club over our last three years as a Premier League team. He was known for his no-nonsense defending and perhaps even more so for his enthusiastic celebrations. Please welcome Paul Robinson. Paul, thank you for coming on the show. I trust you've been keeping well whilst being stuck at home.
1: Yes, thank you for having me. Uh, Yeah, I have been. Been, uh, It's been good. It's been really good. The fact is that obviously I've not had this time with my kids for quite a long time. It's... uh, (laughs) It's been nice. It's just been nice to switch off and enjoy that family time that I've, uh, that I've really, yeah, really missed over the years playing football.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, you obviously, they'll, they'll be keeping you very busy and you get to spend a lot more time with them. Since retiring uh, Birmingham, was it in, in 2018, what have you been up to since then? Have you been doing coaching or anything like that?
1: Yeah, well, since since I retired, I, I went straight into the coaching. So Gary Monk was the manager of um, my first year. Then I went straight into an assistant manager as the 23s coach. Um, and then this year, now I've, I'm now the under-18s manager. So yeah, oh. I've had I've had no break really, which is, <laughs> which is, which can be quite full-on for 24 years. But but no, I mean I love it. I love I love my job. I love what I do. Um, and I wanted to stay in the game as much as I could, especially helping the youngsters. Now is you're trying to you're trying to help them with the mentality side of football. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's been it's been nice having this break because it breaks up a little bit.
0: Yeah, it must be very pleasing for you to see some uh, young players come through and make their debuts for the first team. Jude Bellingham obviously comes to mind. He must be fantastic to work with.
1: Yeah, Jude was, uh, I mean, he was exceptional when obviously 23's level, you're, you're expecting a kid at 15 not really to be up to the expectations of of playing against bigger boys, um, competing. And he was, he was standout. Some games he was, you, you just you wouldn't recognise that he was 15 years old. So, to see him develop, to see what he's doing now, is no surprise to me, and I can only see him getting better.
0: Has it been difficult for you to, at times to sort of keep him grounded, given he has such fantastic ability? No,
1: he's a he's a he's a grounded lad. He's got a great family around him who keep him level-headed. Uh, the boy himself is is so down to earth. You wouldn't think of what he's done so far. You wouldn't think that um, the way that he is, because we know what it's like now. Some kids can get a little bit above themselves and get a little bit carried away, but Jude's definitely not one of them boys. And uh, no, he's a real good kid to talk to and um, and and a pleasure to be around at times because he's so level-headed.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, obviously it must be difficult nowadays with all the money they get expanded around for kids who are you know, 16, 17, etc. to be able to keep them focused on just playing football rather than wanting to get this big Premier League contract and then not actually making it in the game because they're on, I don't know, 15, 20k a week at such a young age. It must be good to have you there as a coach who has been there, seen it, done it. Being able to impart that kind of advice to make sure that they don't lose sight of what the actual goal is.
1: yeah, obviously you're you're always there for him, but if he needs your help you you're not constantly on it on it him or or pushing him and asking him loads of questions because I feel that these boys sometimes have to find out their own way they have to they have to make their pathway their own and I can only give them a little bit of guidance that will would that will help them at certain points. but I think it's uh, like you say when the, when these boys get a lot of money thrown at them. It's it's the boys themselves that have to pick and choose their friends. They have to listen to their family members. They don't need agents. Um, It's their choices. It's what they have to do. And for me, the, the, the little information you give them sometimes is the best just because they have to find their own feet and work it out themselves sometimes.
0: Yeah, you were at Birmingham, I think, um, maybe when Ravel Morrison was there, I think maybe as a, as a lone player. He, he's the one that comes to mind who sort of saw the dazzling lights and maybe went off the rails. Is, it, is he sort of like a cautionary tale that you would use for these kids?
1: Yeah, I mean, Ravel would be a key example
0: of, I mean, what, what a player. Ludicrously talented. I think I've come up against him in like a five-a-side thing in and around Manchester and it was terrifying to watch.
1: Yeah, I mean, even when you hear quotes from like Rio Ferdinand and Wayne Rooney, it just says it all. I mean, they they've worked with him, they've trained with him. I've played with him, I've trained with him, and the kid has so much ability. It's it's scary. And uh, it is. It's just them fine margins of what you do off the pitch that can that can kill your career a little bit. And Ravel's definitely one of them because he's he does he does he does let his emotions go a little bit, and and the friends maybe around him don't help him as much as what he'd like, but. You can't you can't do that. You can't help um, Ravel in them in them situations. He has to help himself. But what a player he could be! It's a joke. He's scary. Well, well, beater. He could be a well
0: beater. Uh, well, like I said, you know, you say it's a dreadful shame. You've had first-hand experience with him, and we've we've all seen what he could possibly do. And it's just a shame that you know he, he's gone the way he is. Maybe now that he's at Sheffield United, and the Chris Wilder he may well you know make make a bit of a step up. Um, obviously, sidetracked a little bit there, Paul. But I'm I'm very pleased that we sort of got to f- find out a bit more about what you've uh, been getting up to at Birmingham. Your yeah. career, obviously you played for Bolton for some time, but it's almost like there's been an intrinsic link in your career with, with the club, even when you weren't playing for them. Starting, mm-hmm. of course, with the playoff final win with Watford that happened against us that season. G- given it was only your, your third year at senior level and your second promotion, that must yeah. have been an incredible day for yourself to be involved in, even if it wasn't so for fans of our club.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was. It was an unbelievable feeling. Um, young kid. Going to the going to the old Wembley Stadium and front of massive amounts of supporters, a dream come true. Like obviously my hometown, so to to, to go out Wembley um, and get the result that we did, obviously it was a, it was a, a, a great achievement for us on the day. Yes, I mean I think we were what we were Bolton's bogey team throughout the season because we beat you twice as well, home and away. I think or did we draw? I think we drew at your place and then we won at our place. I, don't, I can't remember. Mm. Um, but yeah, we seem to be your bogey team. But we knew when we walked into the tunnel, we'd sort of knew, standing aside from the players, we had that edge straight away. The Bolton players looked more nervous. Um, so we. Kept- interesting
0: you say that though, because you you obviously just got promoted. So You were gunning for um, you know a, sort of two promotions in two years, and we'd just come down from the Premiership. So you'd have thought from a, like a bookies' perspective, we'd be the uh, you know the team that you'd expect to win that game. But as you say, you must have gone into there pretty confident, given that you seem to have won over on us.
1: Yeah, we felt we felt real confident, and you could you could sense it. You could sense that Bolton obviously knew that we were quite a, a difficult team to play against. And you, you know, when sometimes you you're standing next to certain people, and you you recognise that we're maybe a little bit nervous, they're a little bit a bit anxious about about which way it could go. And we, as as a group of players, we sensed it in the tunnel going out, and we as we were walking down to queue up in the lines to shake hands. Um, we all said to ourselves, "They're not up for this today." Like we, we can get this here. We get the first goal, and they're not. They're, we're going to rock them, and it did. It, it just sort of gave us a little bit of a lift kicking off the game, um, and it just went from strength to strength. We, we felt like we got a lot fitter during the game, and uh, we were a lot more better on the ball than, than Bolton. And, and yeah, surprising because of the quality that, that was in that team at the time. It was, it was, um, it was just, a, it was just a real, a real good push for us, and, and obviously disappointing for Bolton. I think it's one of those
0: things where there was such pressure on, on, on Bolton at the time, given we'd just moved into the new ground, we'd been relegated and then obviously finances come into it and you're worried about losing your key players if that doesn't go ahead. From your perspective, given that it was for your second promotion in two years and you'd almost kept a very similar squad, you yeah. must have just felt as though you know you had nothing to lose almost.
1: No, oh, yeah, because we, we wasn't the favourites, Bolton in our eyes, they were the favourites. We were just coming down from the Premier League. I mean, I know that they were they were more of the favourites to go up automatically, but it didn't happen, um, and then yeah, I mean, throughout the season, we were always underdogs. We just looked, we just got promoted, we kept the same team, we added a few uh, a few different players to the squad, um, and and we just we just got stronger as the season went on. And, we, and, and like I say, when when you go in when when you go in with the run into the playoffs, you fancy yourselves because you got that little bit more confidence going into it.
0: Mm-hmm. Do Do you think it was a bit of a step too far for Watford though, going into the Premier League straight away after two seasons in the lower divisions?
1: Yeah, I think it was because Watford was a smaller team to what it is now. It's um, not a lot of players were attracted to uh, to Watford just maybe because of the wage structure as well that Graham Taylor had instilled. He never wanted any egos around the football club. Um, he always wanted players that wanted to come and play for Watford and not and not just for the money. So um, yeah, we never really attracted a, a lot of players really, and we kept the same squad, but. We give it our best shot, and it and it and it was great learning for everyone. And like you say, um, players then moved on to playing the Premier League later on in their lives. so that experience helped them then to cope with that in later on in the in the future. Mm-hmm. Well, as you say, you
0: sort of moved on from strength to strength yourself, even though you're at Watford for four more years before before eventually moving on to West Brom. Give it going even further um, along in your career after you'd left the club. One of the other moments where you ended up getting one over on us was the uh, the Birmingham City game. Uh, final game of the season. That must have been one of the most ridiculous things to be involved, and in. we certainly know what a great escape looks like so from a playing side. It must have been great for you.
1: Yeah, I mean, flip me being like yous being tuned it up and and us on looking looking at the um, well maybe looking at administration if the if the worst comes to the worst. Um, so yeah, to get that lift with the first goal and then to to nick the second goal in in sort of like nearly added on time was it's just an unbelievable feeling. Um, but again, we sort of had the we had the momentum going towards the end of the game, and you could you could feel you could feel the tension in, in the players. You could feel the atmosphere was it was it was electric from the Blues fans. Obviously, the Bolton fans were just probably acting as if like it was just an end of season game, and the team was safe and nothing really to play for. So yes, yeah, so from our perspective, it was um, it was the important that we got that equalising goal, or otherwise we were doom and gloom.
0: Yeah, two 0 down. Did you have any belief in clawing it back? I suppose it helps, as you say, that Ziggich scored almost two minutes after Djikovitz. Anyway.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. When when you reply as quick as you do, it's, it it helps because obviously then you, you you can kick on a little bit more. Um, I think if the game had gone on longer and we hadn't scored, then obviously you're looking at the worst. But but yeah, I think the sooner we scored the, the the sort of the first goal from you scoring your second one, it it sort of took a little bit more pressure off, and then we we grew into the game a little bit. Better.
0: Yeah, well, when we talked to Bolton players about the um, the Knotts Forest survival a couple of years back, one of the big things they talk about is how there's always that motivation of getting new contracts and not losing, you know, all that all the players in the squad. Financial issues are always the kind of thing that people talk about when it comes to relegation. Was there that added pressure on the Birmingham City players that day to either get contracts or to not, you know, cause the club any financial worries?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, from for me, I, I wouldn't look at it that like, I wanted to earn a new contract. For me, it's a you look at the big picture. It's it's the club. It's survival. It's the people that work behind the scenes who work hard on a daily basis to keep the club the way it does. Um, the people at the ground who are marketing and and all their little bits. The cleaners. So you, you look at them people that have to pay mortgages, have to keep their jobs, have to have to come into work with a smile on the face. So so yeah, it's 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 that added pressure of having to try and win the game and having to try and survive to, to help those people survive as well. Yeah, well, that's one of the you could sense the relief almost. I think
0: that's what it is whenever there's a survival, there's obviously the elation of the goal going in as there is any time you score. But yeah. there's just sheer relief that you could see from the players on the pitch and the fans, I think from our perspective as you said, because it didn't really affect us. It was yeah. just one of those things that you were almost quite pleased that you were there to be
1: able to witness. Oh yeah, I mean it was an unbelievable feeling. I mean the scenes at the end were just incredible. You 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 think you just won the league the way that we were celebrating? That's mm-hmm. that's what it felt like. But but that's 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 the fine margins of football. It's that it's that getting that equaliser. or It could be you're on your knees like crying your eyes out, and the fans are they're booing and throwing things at you. It's it's just one of those things that happens, isn't it? You either you you live and die by the sword of what we say in football, and you've got to, you've got to make them moments count. And we did on that day. We we ended up getting a, an equaliser, and we ended up surviving by the skin of our teeth.
0: Yeah, and like I said, being involved in it ourselves, we know what the feelings are like. And I think it's just one of those memories that you sort of hold on to for a while. But uh, right, finally, moving on at last from times you got one over on Bolton, because anyone who's listening to this will be shouting at me to to move on to more positive things. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Taking you back to the start of your career with the club, you you joined initially on on loan from West Brom after they'd been relegated. Was the plan always for you to sign permanently or was it more like a try-before-you-buy situation?
1: Yeah, it was a well. It was a di- it was a difficult um, transfer in the end because um, I was supposed to be signing. Well, I had medicals at Sunderland and Wigan, um, and they fell through just because I I fa- that I failed a medical because I got no ACL in my right knee. Uh, it's a typical so, Bolton. Then you were clearly one of the uh, people you know similar situations
2: to everyone else at the, the club. ACL, for God's sake.
1: But, but yeah, I, I mean, obviously I'd, I'd played with Gary Megson at, at West Brom anyway, so he knew me. He knew what type of character I was. He knew that I could probably add something different to the squad with with the quality that was in the squad anyway. So, so for me, yeah, it was a it was a no-brainer to to travel up and have chats and and look round. Um, and Gary sold it to me straight away. And obviously, I looked at the squad with the likes of Kevin Davis, um, Gav McCann was there at the time, Gary Cahill, exciting players that you've got there to work with. Um, and I, and I I just for me it was a it was a no-brainer. So um, I wanted to sign for Bolton. Um, obviously, the loan deal was a bit of a. It was. It was between both clubs that they'd agreed that. I don't know why, um, but yeah, it seemed
0: the, odd at the time that you wouldn't just be a permanent uh, signing, given you know from moving up to the Championship to the Premiership, and as as it turned out, it was going to be made permanent anyway. I wondered why they sort of dilly dallied
1: to begin yeah. with. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it was. I think it was just uh, until the January January transfer window. I think they'd agreed in, in principle to to pay a fee, which was which was then done and agreed. So that, yeah, that's that. That sort of um, that that sort of clears your mind a little bit because when you when it's a loan, you don't know whether it's going to get cancelled or West Brom are going to call you back. You're not too sure with the contract really, with how it worked. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, I was just delighted to get it signed and, and sealed in the end. Uh,
2: was there any worry coming round the first time though? Because uh, when you were joining in, you'd have to compete with the likes of Ricardo Gardner and j Lloyd Samuel, who were both different type of left backs to yourself. Was there any worry that you might not be able to get a place when you first joined? <laughs>
1: Well, no, because for me, you've got to earn your place. So I was for, uh, the science for me, whereas I was I was joining the great squad of players, I had to earn my right to get into the team. Um, I had to train as hard as I could to, to please, even though I knew Gary Megson, it didn't matter. I still had to get in front of people like Ricardo and J Lloyd Samuel because, yes, they were my competition, but it was for me to go out and perform and to prove to the manager that I was better than them two.
0: What was Gary like as a manager, Paul? Because he obviously had a very divisive relationship with the fans. He's nuts. He was proper
1: (laughs) nuts. um, I'm glad you admit it. (laughs) Yeah, I I love working with him just because he understood me and I understood him. Yes, we had our um, like little ding dongs every now and then, but that was part of football. so so yeah, I, I I just found I just Gary Gary was Gary. He'd say how it was it was black and white. You, you there was no confusion between it. You understood it. You either got on with it or you could sulk and, and he'd just leave you out and and wouldn't, wouldn't worry about you. So so yeah, I, I love working with Gary.
0: Did did he ever confide in you about the negativity from the fans and how it affected him? Given you know he was almost
1: like a trusted lieutenant of his. No, because Gary kept quite a few things to his chest. He was he was quite he was he was a bit of a closed book to them that that side of him. Um, obviously, on the footballing side, w- it, regards to talking would be my game, my positioning, um, like working with players on on the pitch and and things like that. That was that was Gary's work. But he never really confided in any of the players about the the situation with fans or whether there was any issues. He he tended to deal with that with, off his own back.
0: Yeah, obviously, you know you're part of the team. You know when the team's not doing well, you know it's it's always the players that get booed, but then the manager also cops quite a lot of the flack. Did it did it seem inevitable to the squad that he was going to end up losing his job, given that he almost became untenable his position because fans just were going uh, to start
1: protesting and just not going at one stage. Yeah, I think I think as a as a as a manager and as a player, I think you know your time's up when when you when you've done that all you can at a football club and it's time for a fresh challenge and to move on. Um, I think that they're the right times to leave then. Um, obviously Gary had found it tough towards the end with Yes, as we weren't getting the results that we were we were deserving, but at the same time as players we have to we have to hold our hands up and take responsibility that if you're not performing, then as a player you've got to take that, you've got to take the criticism, you've got to take that you're not doing your job for the team and you gotta take being dropped at certain points and and try and fight and get back into the team. So so yeah, from Gary's point of view, I, I would assume that he, um, he found it, and enough was enough. And he didn't want the stress anymore in his life. Where he felt it was time for him to move on and and, and leave the club. Do you Is think it was fair?
3: To... Sorry, well, get, go on. I was just going to say, at any point, did did you feel the same? A similar question to to what going go ask. At any point, did you feel as if you lost the dressing room as well, as as much as the he lost the fun. The dress, the dressing room, the the
1: dressing room. The lads always took it out. Like we always, we always went for each other in dressing rooms because you have to if, you, if your performance is not good enough you've got to let each other know um, football's changed now so football's changing you don't hear a lot of opinions you don't hear a lot of a lot of players telling each other that they've done that wrong or they've let that person down because they take too many things to heart but when you're in when you're in the dressing room with what I was in with, with great characters and leaders you, you either t- you've got to take it so as players we we knew we weren't performing so we dug each other out and we and we tried to we tried to do the right things and Sometimes the manager, you try and take the pressure off the manager by constantly telling you and telling you what you're doing
3: wrong. Um, did you ever feel like he, he, was, he was insistent that it was never his fault, or, or was he quick to hold his hands up at all? Did you feel or
1: um... no, Gary? He, Gary was always one that held his hands up. He always accepted that um, he made he might have made wrong tactical decisions. He might have made the wrong um, errors in players with, with, with the, the game that we were playing in. Um, he understood that he was always he was he was always hands up. It's my fault.
0: I, I, I find that interesting because it's not really what came across to us. I think, well, I mean, I, I was relatively young at the time, but I remember the whole City game, which was the last one that he he took charge of. And there was this yeah. visceral, visceral reaction towards him taking Klasnich off at, at 2-1, maybe to, to put on Gavin McCann to try and shore up the result. And I think it was that over-cautious side that really sort of grated with the fans because obviously under Allardyce, there'd been an element of stability. He tried to be really, really solid. But yeah. I think with Gary, it came across as it was just a bit too negative.
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah, and 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 that comes under pressure as well. With a manager, it's when things are not going well, and you just want that result to give you a little bit of a lift. It's it, it does. Managers make make decisions that sometimes you think, well, why is your assistant not helping you out with that one? Do you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. that's when you need staff around you to be nice and nice and solid with you, and and make the right decision, and 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 say, no, Gary, I think you're making the I think you're making the wrong decision here, and bringing Evan off. It's just. I just think there's always that added pressure of the decision-making will always look a little bit more difficult to when you're sitting in the crowd and being on the touchline with being that manager, it's making that it's making that decision and it's firm, right, I'm sticking by it and now I've done it.
3: Yeah, I, th- I
0: think it's sort of like damned if you do, damned if you don't almost. Um, yeah. what, your m- move was made permanent by, by Owen Cole after he arrived to replace Gary Meggson. Obviously, you haven't worked with, with Owen before, but how much of a confidence boost was it for him to put his faith in you like that and sign you up? Almost
1: immediately. Yeah, no, I think yeah. Uh, um, we with um, well, it was a, it was a good one because I just wanted it signed, sealed, and delivered. But I think Gary had agreed it, so I think Gary had ag- agreed everything with Phil. Um, and when obviously Gary had left, then then Owen obviously knew that I was signing, so oh, fair Okay, he, he had no he had no qualms in that anyway. Um, I think Owen had seen me over the years as what type of player I was and what he expected off me. Uh, so yeah, I mean it just it just flowed nicely.
0: Mm-hmm. How did the styles of management differ? Because we've spoken to quite a few
1: players on this, and they said they're almost chalk and cheese. Yeah, Owen's very off the cuff compared to a lot of managers I've worked with, and you you find it you do find it. Well, I was bemused by some of the some of the decisions and some of the things that he did, but. Everybody. Did one of them
3: involved table tennis? <laughs>
1: <laughs> table tennis, snooker, <laughs> darts. I think it was just like a like a pub games we used to play all the time. I think it was, and you just you couldn't get your head around it. Some like some some days I was just is this professional football sometimes it, but that was Owen. Owen was that eccentric type of guy, type of manager who he lived on the edge. I, I just looked at him as he, he always lived on the edge and he, he took things differently to other managers that I worked with.
0: Was it sort of? Would you think it was sort of like fostering a good team spirit? Was that sort of like one of the things that he he tended to champion?
1: Oh, I think I think we had a good team spirit. Um, I don't think Owen could ever question or could ever manifest with what we had there because when you got people like Sean Davis in the squad, you got people like Kevin Davis, uh, Zach Knight. You had your yeah. Yes, yeah, so many characters, Ivan Klasnic, Stu Holden. I mean, what a group of players we had. It was it was scary. It was like and you you had like the quality of, of Jack Wilkshire to that as well at the time. Like real good characters who come into the group and we just we just had a real buzz around the training ground. Everything was fun. You just had a you, it was like going going to work with like twenty of your mates.
0: Yeah, we, we spoke to Ivan on, on the podcast and he, he talked about some of the dressing room pranks that went on. Was that something you always got involved in?
1: Yeah, all the time. Yeah, I love all that sort of stuff. Um, it, it, like you say, it keeps the togetherness. It keeps it keeps the team spirit. Um, you seen as if you're seen as someone that's obviously not getting involved, or you don't want to be doing that. You don't want to be seen doing that. Then you obviously weren't you you, you weren't felt welcomed at the football club. But at the time, it was just everyone everyone was involved in everything. It was a different different, different prank from a different player all the time. It was constant, so it was brilliant.
0: Yeah, he talked. He talked about one one that you did, and I'll try and phrase it as nicely as possible. Were we you left a present on on the training room floor for, for someone to walk in and find. Is is that fair to say, Paul? <laughs>
1: oh yeah, that was uh, that was quite funny. That one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll say no more. If you want to find out the true story, listen to to Ivan's podcast.
1: Yeah, Clas 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 is Clas is a character. He's he's just he was he was a uh, like a world win of gold he was. He was comical class. And I loved, I loved my my time with him. Um, He went through some real tough times as well with his kidney. Uh, So yeah, to, to see the way that he performed in the week and the way he played and, the character that he was, yeah, he was a, he was a, such a good guy to be around on a daily basis. It it's amazing
0: day. to see how you know well, as you say, he played, given you know the medical struggles that he's had off the pitch. Maybe four transplants or something like that. Just how good was he? And also Lee Chong-Yong, he was a new player coming in at the same time as you,
1: who added a lot of quality. Yeah, oh my God, I mean, what a player chong he was. I mean, again, Klaas, class, class I'd never heard really too much about Ivan. But when you see him in training it just goals pure goals from anywhere just he naturally knew where the goal was he didn't he'd have his back to goal um he'd turn and he knew it was there um and then you've got Lee Chong fit me i mean what a, what a player he was he was just he was insane some of the skills the ability that he had uh, the way he went past players scary i mean so good for the team i mean the fans loved him you could see the fans had a had an instant bond with Chungi just because of the way he was, as a, not only as a person, but as a player.
0: Yeah, I think it's always the thing with Bolton fans where they don't just focus on the technical ability, but also are very, very into players who always give 100%. And I think that was what sort of set Chungi apart. And, and also yourself, Paul, you know, put, putting in all that effort consistently week in, week out is something that wins you a lot of friends.
1: Yeah, no, I loved it. I, I always feel that every, every club you sign for, you've got to give you all. No matter... there there will be times I struggled at Bolton there were definitely times where I struggled Um, I found it hard um, settling in to start with obviously because my family was still in Birmingham um, travelling so yeah all them little things come into consideration but the three years that I was there overall I absolutely loved it I loved my time there it it was just a shame the way it all ended for me it was disappointing
0: yeah yeah Going into the um, 2010-11 season, obviously, you get the additions of um, Martin Petrov, Stu Holden. Suddenly, he's starting to make waves in the team. Was was the squad as a whole confident of avoiding a relegation scrap, given that that's what you'd been involved in the previous year?
1: Well, yeah, because when you look at the players that are coming through the door, you're expecting high, like high expectations. Mm. Uh, obviously, it was going to take time for us to gel as a team, especially when Martin Petrov left Man City. We know what he'd done there for them. Um, so him now to come over to Bolton obviously was a, was a big, well, not a big drop for him, but a change. So a change in style of football, a change. Did you in... like
0: playing with him, Paul? I
1: um, can, no. Yes, I know the fact is that I knew that if you give him the ball, he could be dangerous. Um, and no, because of the fact is that every time I overlapped him, I knew that he wouldn't run back for me. Whereas mm-hmm. when, I, when I played with Taylor, we had a connection on the left-hand side. Whereas, yeah, I was going to
0: ask you that whether or not you Matty Taylor was sort of like a, a because he, obviously he'd been a defender uh, earlier in his career. Would that sort of help you from a work rate perspective?
1: Yeah, so I always look at the connections in football teams is is the important the linking together as a partnership. And me and Matty had that down the left hand side is when when we played well together. I mean, we we were unstoppable down the left hand side. But when I felt I played with Martin, it was a, it was a hot and cold relationship where. You never knew what you were going to get from Martin, and some some games I was, I felt that I played horrendous just because of the fact is I was I was caught out positionally, because I wasn't being helped by Martin, or I'd made a run and he never gave me the ball, and then I was out of position. So I knew, but in my head as a player, I I knew I should have just stayed, I, I should have just stuck to my position and done my job instead of, trying to be expansive and and trying to do the things that I thought would help in the team out. I knew that they weren't, and. We were getting cut open, um, and it was disappointing. And I should have known better as a player to to do that at the time.
0: I find that very interesting because I, I've always been a, a fan of Martin Petrov, and you know, unashamedly so. But uh, you know, I have a conversation with these two lads, and was Will, a big Matty Taylor fan. And James has always said that he thought that. Um, Petrov sort of shirked quite a bit in the defensive responsibility so I presume from your perspective lads this is music to your ears oh very,
2: <laughs> oh yeah that, um yeah I was always saying that Martin Petrov um oh just for, for lack of a better word I always thought he was a bit lazy undeniable ability but I always said he was way too lazy and it would kept costing us in games yeah. especially in that uh in our relegation season 2011-2012
1: yeah, definitely. I mean, like when you look at it, would you want a Matty Taylor in that team, or would you want a Martin Petrov when things are not going well? One hundred percent.
3: I'd want a Matty Taylor. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, classic player. And I just think that your your relationship with him, you know, on on the field, it seemed to work off the field just as well. Um, you know, it, it, it was quite obvious at that time that the, the, the team seemed to have a really good relationship. Um, you know, obviously, going forward uh, on and on and off the field, so it was uh, it was really good to see. And like Tom says, I'm a huge admirer of uh, of Matty. So you know, to see you two link it up so well uh, as you did was a it was a real spectacle for me. So yeah, oh, it's
1: great. I like me and Matty still speak now, so we're we're all, we're close friends, and we had a, We had a great we had a great relationship down the left hand side. And again, Owen Owen's got to take responsibility for that because he he broke that up and he he wanted to change it and. I just think when if, if it's not broken, then it doesn't need changing. No, absolutely.
0: Well, one of the key changes that was made to that side, obviously I mentioned him before, was Stuart Holden coming into that, that um, engine room in the midfield with him and Fabrice Wamba seemed to have a fantastic partnership. Did it yeah. sort of make your job easier as a, as a defender, given that you knew that in both going forward and defensively, those two could share quite a lot of the
1: work, rate? Oh, yeah, massively. I mean, Stuart as well on the ball was, um, he was a fantastic ball player. You, you knew that... You knew that you could give him the ball, he could control the game, calm it down, pick the right passes. I knew then that my time into my runs would be so much better because I knew if he had the ball at his feet, then he'd either find me or he'd find a more of a secure pass where we weren't going to give it away. And him and Fabrice, they just bounced off each other with their energy. I mean, they both were like midfield box-to-box players where they covered loads of grass, uh, put tackles in for the team. Um, it, was, yeah, it, was, it was a real good balance in midfield with them two And Stu, again, another great lad Both of them, Fabrice as well Both great lads in the changing room as well Yeah, well, It would be remiss to talk about Stu Without talking about one of the
0: highlights of that season Which was the the Blackburn game, of course And you were heavily involved in the celebrations As we've, as we've seen yeah. on your wall and It was sort of immortalised on the internet as well I, I think I think the reason why that is so remembered well Is because of the real passion that it showed from yourself But I presume your memories of the day are just Almost a blur,
1: really yeah, I mean, flip me. What do we have? 10 men, didn't we? We had 10 men. Yeah, I think Sparky
0: got sent off, if you memory serves.
1: Yeah, 10 men. Um, Blackburn were sort of cruising 1 0, 1 0. Were they 1 0 up? And then Davos, Davos scored, didn't he? No, no uh, I think was it was Fabrice. Yeah, it was so Fabrice scored, saw, yeah, and then Chief equalised, and then we got the other end. And then we got the other end and scored a winner. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, on the day, I thought we played some unbelievable football, and we, and we, we demonstrated what a good team we were. Um, but yes, I mean, them them two goals just highlighted what we were all about as a group. We never give up. We always we always were fighting for each other. Um, always we like we threw our bodies on the line, and it was a great game. It was on Sky as well that game, wasn't it? That one. It was, yeah. yeah. One, one yes. of the most ridiculous moments I've ever seen.
0: That have yeah. never seen someone go from so deflated to such a massive high straight away.
1: Yeah, and then the celebrations just there, just the, it was. I mean, it was a great picture, well captured by the photographer, but it was just. <laughs> Uh, I didn't you know when you're like you're thinking in the air what what am I doing I'm running towards them I'm thinking what am I going to do what am I going to do and I just decided to jump uh, (laughs) obviously it looked like I was doing the Superman but then my face is in shock because I'm realizing I'm actually not going to land on them here I'm jumping over them
2: (laughs) it's a wonder you didn't injure anyone with that front. I was literally going to say I was
0: terrified you were going to injure somebody yeah so I was more worried about how I was going to land that was my that was
3: my worry but, but it yeah. reminded me of, uh, of the Jimmy Bullard thing. I remember seeing uh, a, a, that sort of goal line scrap on Twitter the other day, and Jimmy Bullard just jumping over over the top of everyone for a laugh. It just reminded me of that. It was fantastic. Brilliant,
1: Brilliant mate. Sorry, my dog's just going mad. Hang on, fellas. hang on. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Pick him out, lads. I'm kicking him out. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. No.
0: All
2: right. All right. So this I'm, is
1: uh, why James so... here, Paul, so we can do all the editing. It was just <laughs> like the. Um, it just boy. was just like the Jimmy Bullard one, wasn't it? But that that was the best one when flipping. I like the Duncan Ferguson just staring at him. That was the best bit. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, and there was that little lean afterwards that you do with uh, Stuart. I can't remember what he said. What 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 was that in reference to again?
1: Uh, oh, um, was it... Were we taking a mick out of someone stretch? Oh, it was Tony. Tony, Tony. the Kit Man. So Tony, yeah. the Kit, so Tony the Kit Man used to... He used to do like this weird stretch. So me and Stuart obviously said, oh, if, if one of us is scoring, we're doing this celebration. Um... So yeah, he'd do the stretch and he'd fall over because he could, he couldn't get his balance right. So we just, <laughs> as soon as Stu scored, we just like both looked at each other. We went, "Yes, this is a great time to do it." Yeah, I, th- I think Stu recorded by saying Tony was
0: a bit of heavier set. I think if he'd have uh, tried to do a Superman on someone, then it would have been a full squad injury. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> he definitely would have squashed a few people. <laughs> One of the other great uh, memories of that season, Paul, is obviously the, the fantastic FA Cup run. Um, how was how that to be involved in, especially the Birmingham game, which you had a hand in that winning goal from Chungi?
1: Yes, uh, oh, unbelievable run. Uh, I mean, it's the best cup, isn't it? It's a special cup to play in. Um, and, and to get as far as we did as a group of players was um, was, was unbelievable. But like you say, it's it all got it all got dampened by the result in, the, in in Wembley so uh yeah so yeah that was that was the most disappointing thing about it was the way that we um the way that we let us down at Wembley what what is your memory of that Stoke defeat just horrendous just 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 as as a group together we never performed um me myself personally I never I never got into the game um what didn't feel didn't feel comfortable throughout the game just just one of those days where nothing ever was going to go right for you, no matter how hard you tried. You just you just felt everything was coming down on top of you. Um, and it, it was, yeah, it was, it, was, it was. it's football. Unfortunately, these things happen in football. I mean, flip me, I've had an 8-0 against Bournemouth for Birmingham as well, so I've had a few big hitters over my career. Um, but it's how you deal with them. Um, and, I, and I remember then that the next time we played Stoke, we beat them 5-0, so... It, uh, that was a good day. That was a very good day. It's
2: yeah.
1: those... It's, it's those things where oh but after that sorry we beat Arsenal two one at home didn't we so yeah, yeah. Tammy got the last minute goal yeah it, it, it's just it, it's just football and the way it goes unfortunately and it is yeah it's just the kicking the balls because you are yeah, it's disheartening.
3: Um, I was going to say I, I still have nightmares myself about Matty Etherington and I don't know whether it, it was down your side that you were that you were up against I can't remember whether he was playing on the left or the right that day but oh, I yeah. can imagine, your nightmares of it are even worse than mine. <laughs> I, had Jerm- I had
1: Jermaine Pennant Down my side Matty was, was he against Was he against Greta Yeah he would have been on Yeah the left. I think he it Pennant would have been He was on the left I mean both of them On the day when you, when you look at Both of them wingers If you don't If you don't give them a yard you got on top of them But if you give them Time and space They're the most dangerous Wingers you can ever Come up against In the Premier League Just because of how good They are um, And on a big pitch against that against them two players on the day they just they just both killed us both me and greta i think they both just got the better of us each each can time
0: can you explain it paul is there anything that leading up to the game that maybe gives you some kind of clarity as to why it
1: happened because it just came from absolutely nowhere no I no uh no you can't i just think when you're on the football pitch and you're you're in your zone um if you if you are you're, like for instance if i'm if i'm if i'm marking someone like a ronaldo I know for a fact I've got to be on top of my game. Because if I'm not on top of my game, then Ronaldo's going to run me ragged all game just because of how good he is. And I just felt Jermaine Pennant, you never know which, which type of Jermaine Pennant you're going to get. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't sure. So in my head now, I've confused myself with going against Jermaine, Jermaine Pennant. Right, I need to be doing this, this, this and this because if I'm not, then he's going to get on top of me. And I remember it. I made, I made a mistake in about the first five minutes against him. I tried to have another touch and he took it off me and then it got in my head. So in my head, then I was thinking, why am I taking too many touches? I don't, because I know he's quick off the mark and I know if I'm, if I'm going to have another touch, he's going to, he's going to come on top of me. And I did in the end, I was like, I was then having too many touches and he was encroaching on me and he was, he just kept taking it off me. So it was just, it was just one of those, it was just a bad day, just a real bad, bad day. Just the
3: occasion, overwhelming, as I think, as well. You know, obviously play, uh, Wembley and everything. I think everything just culminates into that one moment where I think you know, head potentially just lost for a minute one, and and it seemed to that 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 being the case. But
0: it doesn't yeah. help that in like the first ten minutes, you had Edrington and Huth both take pot shots and they both flew in. I mean, you know, how to kill confidence? It just seemed like everything went their way.
1: Yeah, and that's it. Football, football on the day, whichever way it goes, and whichever luck. I mean, like, like you say, to you, you never see goals conceded like that by U C as well. He's normally pretty solid in goal, um, but it's just again, he was it, it was U C in goal, wasn't it? Or was yeah, it was, yeah, it was, yeah. And you look at U C and you think, shit, I can't even shout at him because he's such a good goalkeeper and he never makes them type of mistakes. So. It was just one of those things, unfortunately, but yeah, you, you get all that way. The fans pay all that money, the fans travel down from afar to go to Wembley. big day out for the fans and and you end up losing five nil. It's just you, you just you just want the ground to like to bury up, cover you up and, and, and take you away as quick as possible, and yeah, you, you just have to accept it and hold your hands up and, and just apologize and then move on. At least how how hard was about- it to recover? Sorry. How hard
0: was it to recover as a squad? Do you think did it affect you mentally for a while afterwards?
1: I think it. I think it took a little bit of a knock-on effect in the week because we never knew what was coming, and and at the same time we knew Arsenal were coming up on the next weekend, and again that was on Sky. So we 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 just we just realised that we had to knuckle down and we had to pull our finger out and just accept that it's over, the game's gone, there's nothing we can do about it, and we have to look forward to the next game and how we're going to bounce back.
0: Yeah, it just seemed that, as you say, you know, ridiculous to then bounce back and beat Arsenal. We we played them off the park that day. You know, Kevin obviously missed the penalty, so it could have been even more of a comfortable scoreline. Yeah, but then you have five losses in the last five games of that season. It just seemed, seemed from a fan's perspective, that maybe it was quite a difficult monkey to get off your back.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it's always tough. It's always tough when you when you when you get a result and knock you back. So, so yeah, results like that, obviously they do they, they they affect your performances but they also affect you as a team as well because obviously certain teammates are then looking at you and they think differently of you compared to what they thought of you before when things were going well.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: The
0: following season obviously started with a with a 4-0 win against QPR and then we went on another poor run which was not helped admittedly by the fact that we were playing, you know, some really really good sides in in that opening sort of month or so. Did you see that kind of struggle that season coming as a squad especially after you've just won 4-0 on the opening day?
1: Yeah, you, I mean, you you could see like little cracks appearing um, with certain players that they didn't want to be there. They wanted the transfer window to get get away by the transfer window. Don't know why. I don't, like reasonings whether whether their agents were in their ears or whether other clubs were tapping them up. I don't know. Um, but you just had that feeling that no one really wanted to be there anymore, just because of the fact is I don't I, I don't know why. I don't I don't know what 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 you could put your finger on it. Maybe. Some players wanted to change um, the manager. You could won- feel it. though. you, you could, yeah, feel you could that there was something Yeah, you could definitely
0: sense it. You could definitely sense it. Was there a reason why you suddenly went, went in and out of the team, having been such a mainstay
1: for the last two years? I'd, I'd had a falling out with Owen. Um, okay. It was, it was that? Yeah. Um, I'm not. I'm not afraid to admit it. I just didn't. We didn't see eye to eye. Um, even though I respected him as a man, I didn't. I didn't feel that. We were the same team as what we were the previous year, when we were close to Europe. Um, we'd done so well. And then towards the end of the season, I think we, obviously we brought, brought in like young players from Spain, Marcus Alonso and, and uh, Roddy had come in. Um, Owen sort of put the stamp on the team that maybe was taking away the British side of it that we all felt that was the best way. and. It was we could see things were changing, and I wasn't going to be a part of Owen's plans. So yeah, we just we didn't we didn't see eye to eye in the end, unfortunately. Did, did, was it was it just you that he had
0: a falling out with, or did he have issues with other players, perhaps?
1: No, I think I think there was quite a few fr- uh, fractions with a few players there, but um, I think you could tell that with the way the, the I mean the team the team should never have gone down with that with that group of players. That team should never have gone down because. You could see that the team spirit had gone. Uh, Certain players were playing for themselves and not playing for the club and for playing as a team. And I I wasn't even there and I could see that. I was watching the games and I could see the difference in in what it was like before and what it was like then. Um, So yeah, disheartening and sad really because Bolton had been at the top. They'd been in the top flight for so long and it was was a great run club, I feel. And unfortunately, he passed away and um, things started to change. Obviously... Money starts. The money starts getting different towards certain players, and you're bringing in players who are more worried about their pay packet than they are playing for the football team. And there's a whole lot of things that you could you could see. And um, yeah, it, for me, it was disappointing because it, Bolton should never have gone down that route, and and they should they should they should still now be in the in the Premiership if it was if it was kept the way that it was and secure. I, I presume you would have liked nothing more than
0: to have stayed and helped in, in the relegation scrub rather than be sent on loan to Leeds. 100%,
1: yeah, 100%. Um, it was pulling my hair out, not, not being involved and, and to get stuck in and help the lads. Um, uh, the manager makes decisions, so you have to uh, respect that and you have to get on with it. So I do, I'm not the type of player to sit around and pick my money up. I want to I want to go and earn the right and I want to go and play football and, and that's the, the opportunity I was given to go and play at Leeds again, another fantastic club. So, uh, so yeah, I, I jumped at the opportunity to just go and get some game time and enjoy my football again.
0: Yeah, I think one of the factors that fans always look at is the injuries to, to Lee Chung yong and, and Stu Holden, and even, even with Weeks getting injured in the second-to-last game against West Brom and they not being able to play on the final day. Mm. And that's what we see, but it's interesting to see that you uh, say would it was more sort of like a squad attitude thing that maybe caused more of the issues than the injuries to those key players.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely the attitude. Definitely the attitude that let, let, let the team down in the end. I mean, what Kev Davis was on the, he was on the bench for the last game as well, wasn't he?
0: I, th- I think towards the end of his time at the club, the, the, some of the treatment that Kev had to go through was
1: just an absolute yeah. disgrace, to be honest he, with you. He's the club captain. He's a leader. He's a legend at the football club. And he's the player that you want seeing leading the team out every week. And when you're not seeing Kevin Davis leading Bolton Football Club out, then there's a problem. There's an issue. Um, and it definitely isn't Kevin Davis. So when I'm looking at that, I'm, I'm straight away I'm looking at my leaders sitting on the bench and I want my leader on the football pitch.
0: Yeah, well, I, I, I think as you say, it was there was a lack of leadership from from the top, really, because I think no one really knew quite how to react to it because it came out of nowhere that we suddenly started to struggle so badly. And yeah. I, I think you're right. There, there was obviously a core players there who were there to to do a job for the club, but then also then you have to build your side around them. And yeah. I, I wonder whether you know you brought t- Tunchai was brought in and didn't have any effect whatsoever. Um, Nigeria came in and did quite well, but you know, I don't think his head was necessarily in the right place to try and play for Bolton.
2: Mm. So
0: you look at that team and from a quality perspective, didn't see many problems. But as you say, it, it's interesting to hear from you that maybe their their heads weren't necessarily in the right place or maybe not kept in the right place by Owen. Maybe that's a management issue. I don't know.
1: Yeah, well you, you, at the end of the day, your manager has to take responsibility because he has to make the decisions and whether the decisions were right or wrong at the time. Um I, I just felt they were wrong, uh, but that that was my opinion. I, I don't know what anyone else thinks, and and I just felt that it could have been done a whole lot better than what it was, and Bolton should never have gone down that year. Well, I, 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 know, I, I, I presume there was
0: no chance of you ever
1: renewing your contract as a result? Well, no, because um, I remember I was, Phil Gardside so was in Portugal the time I was in Portugal and in, in the holidays the year before, and he phoned me while I was away, and he said, "Paul, I want to meet you. I want to meet you for a game of golf, and I want, I want, I want you to sign a new contract." And so we met. We had we played a game of golf. Real, real good time with Phil. I mean, I loved it. I loved his company. He was such a gentleman. He was a real football man. He loved the club through and through. He wanted the best for the football club. And I th- and I felt that he wasn't offering me the contract that I deserved. And it wasn't. It was nothing to do with money. It was the it was the length of contract. And I sort of couldn't get my head round it was I'd probably played my best football for Bolton in the, 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 the year that I, I was in playing. I was really enjoying my football, really enjoying my, my time. Um, and I felt a little bit of a kick in the teeth that he only wanted to offer me a year. But I also felt that that was coming from Owen and that it, the manager was obviously not too sure or he wasn't going to give me any longer. For for me, my, my family was still living in Birmingham, so I needed that security that I needed to move my family up. So so that year that I was offered, I just felt, well, there's I'm just going to see my contract out because I, my family's not going to move up just for a year. There's no point.
0: Was there any talk amongst the players about why those deals didn't necessarily go through? Because I, I look back at it now, and I think maybe money had to be the issue with the likes of Klasnick, Steinson, et cetera, because there was a lot of people let go who shouldn't necessarily have been let go or maybe didn't even want to go at that point.
1: Yeah, I think. Well, I don't know. I can't speak on their behalf of what their money, what they were on. I I no. never was interested in what they were earning. Um, but again, it it might not have had anything to do with money. It might have, it might have been other things that might have made them want to leave or made them want to go in the, for a new challenge somewhere. I don't know. Mm. Um, Matt Taylor, Yaskalainen as well left. Yeah, I mean, all all the all the all, all the players that had they'd gone through the Bolton way and they they earned the Bolton right were let, being let go. That core, that strength, that quality was all was all being thrown out the door. And I I I just I find it bemusing that football clubs can do that because that's that's your strength. That's that's what you have to keep there. You have to keep that the team spirit. You have to keep the people there that you know are going to keep the team spirit flowing and they're going to keep the togetherness. And it it for me it was just looking from the outside. Eventually, was all the team spirits being broken up.
2: Yeah this is yeah, thought... this is just a speculation on my part. Do you think it might have just been a one year deal for you to maybe keep some semblance of team spirit as well as just to nurture the younger Marcos Alonso to eventually take your place around the training field and whatnot.
1: But if you're going to do that then you obviously get that in your contract. That wasn't so if they were... if if a club was going to go to me right Robbie we want you to sign three years Um, on your third year we want you to do your coaching badges and we want you to start looking after the younger lads then do you know what there's your future there's your plan so as a player I've got that in my head on my third year I know that I'm not going to play as much and I'm going to be focusing on developing the young kids with the first team and I'm going to be helping them try and get on the right pathway to hopefully play for Bolton Wanderers Football Club which will be the biggest achievement ever would be knowing that you're bringing through the youth but if you're as a football club, if you've not got that plan and you've not got that guidance, then for me, then what's what's the point in just offering me another year contract, but there's no guarantees that you're gonna play me, you're not you're not gonna use me for any of the coaching, then that's just a year of, well, I, I still think I can do a good job. Like even though I'm 32, I still had plenty of life in me, I still had my legs were good. I felt I felt good as a player. Um I, I just felt it just felt like a little bit of disrespect and a bit of disregard to, to obviously the person that I was and that you didn't want me around the training ground. It's just yeah, not but,
3: It's just not feasible at that stage of your career, I don't think, to be expecting just one, one more year from you. And like you say about having to, to move your family logistically, it's just, it's just it's simply just not worth it. And whether finance comes into it or not. It, it just doesn't seem like a sensible move, and I completely understand from your perspective why
0: why that was your decision. Especially yeah. when the other offer on the table is Birmingham, literally where your family
1: are. Yeah, well, I didn't, I didn't, no, I didn't have a contract from Birmingham until the October, so I was, Oh really? Six, well, okay. Six months without a club, yeah. So I was training by myself. Um, so so yeah, that was difficult. Obviously, I'd left Bolton, uh, Leeds had then they they'd had new targets coming in. I'm not too sure if they were. They were wanting to keep Neil Warnock as well. He was the manager at the time, so there was a bit up and up. Obviously, they was having a transition in their squad with changing, and they lost a lot of players in the summer. Um, so yeah, for me, it was I was back home with my family, and I was waiting for for a move. I went on, so I went on trial to Knott's Forest for three weeks, um, and then that never materialised into a contract just because of the owners. They changed ownership. And of course they did because it's not Forest. Yeah, so they 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 wanted to, the owners wanted to bring in their own style of player, and it was it was it was weird. That was weird. That was. I mean, I, I went on trial, and for not only the career I've had, but for the player that I was as well. It's I didn't mind doing it because it's football. I have to go and prove myself, and I wasn't afraid to do it. But for three weeks, I felt like, oh, a minute, you've got me on trial for three weeks, and now at the end of the three weeks, you've now told me. That you don't, you want to sign me as a backup player, and I was like, no, nah, nah, I'm sorry, but no, nah, I'm not doing that. Um, well, we we had it
0: at the start of this season, Paul. Um, obviously, with the different situation. Well, the ownership issues, of course. But we had. We were speaking to Jem um, Karachan yesterday, and he was saying that you had about five or six players all just knocking around the training ground on trial, quote unquote. But then, of course, that's four weeks down the line. The ownership deal has still not gone through, and they just discarded. And yeah. I, I think I think the way that football clubs treat players a lot of the time like commodities. It's something that really needs looking into and altering. Definitely,
1: 100%. And it's stability. The clubs need stability. You, like, We've got proper owners in there who care about the club and they care about the squad that they want to develop. like, Do they want to bring the young lads through? Again, for me, we're not seeing enough of the young players coming through the academies. Um, you, you've, you've got to start looking at it. You've got to start rebuilding your, your squads with using the youth as well as the experience that you've got there. Mm-hmm. There's gonna be times where you've got to move players on. Yes, it's football, we accept it. As long as that player knows what's happening and how it's going, then if you're if you're treated right as a person, then you shouldn't have any problems. It should it should flow nicely. But if you're not getting told the right information, you're getting fed false information, then yes players, their heads are gonna be all over the place and they're gonna act differently. You've got to have, and owners are going to mess around. They're going, they're not going to tell the fans the right information with what's going on or detail. It's you, there's going to be uproar. There's going to be there's going to be there's going to be conflict. There's going to be friction. Fans are not going to go to the games because the owners are lying to us. Why do I want to go? Like even though it's hurting you, I'm paying good money to go and watch my football team play. But yet you're not telling us the full story, so I'm not wasting my money going to watch my team play.
0: Well, you certainly managed
1: to prove them wrong by
0: playing until, was it the age of 39 or 40 almost, wh- when you left Birmingham. So, you know, what what's your secret of having such a long career at the top two levels of English football?
1: I just dedicated my life to it. I mean, I loved it. I loved every minute. I loved I loved the fact of proving people wrong that age is just the number. Because, again, owners always looked at you got to 35, you got to 36, or oh, his legs have gone He's well past it. Well, if the owners had watched me and trained every day, they'd know for a fact that I wasn't past it and I was probably one of the best trainers every day. So that motivation to shut people up, I just loved it. I loved it all the time just to prove people wrong and keep them quiet. So, yeah, I I always looked after myself, um, kept healthy, uh, eat eat the right things, always do yoga. I I just love looking after myself and helping the youngsters. I always wanted to... I always wanted to prove to the youngsters that it can be done even at my age the way I looked after myself. Look, this is how you do it. This is what it's about. If you don't believe in this sort of stuff then you shouldn't be in football. You shouldn't be looking at I just want a nice car. I just want to wear nice clothes. Well no, because that's not going to get you far. It's about dedication and getting your head down and doing the right things and that and that's what I wanted to that's what that's how that's what drove me all the time on a daily basis.
2: You also proved yourself adaptable during that um, time with Birmingham as well, shifting from a left-back to a centre-back, which I always thought was quite interesting considering you're not the tallest defender around as well. How was that adaptation?
1: Yeah, I, I felt I felt for the last five years of my career, it, it helped me massively because um, it saved my running. Because We know at full-back, you've got to sprint up and down the line and at centre-half, you don't do as much running. And I, I could see the bigger picture. I could control the team in front of me. I could talk to them. I could tell them positioning them wise and, and help them. So yeah, for me, I developed so much playing centre off for five years. Just just not not as a player, but as a person. It brought it brought a lot out in me, in my leadership qualities as well. So yeah, I loved it. I loved it.
0: Yeah. yeah, I think it takes a certain type of player to be able to sort of make the admission to themselves that they're better off at being suited at a different thing as well. I think that's almost like a, a, a humble attitude almost to be able to say, right, maybe this isn't for me anymore, but I know I can dedicate myself to something else and try and be as good as that as well.
1: Oh, yeah, and Lee Clark. Lee Clark was a manager at the time. Um, and I remember it. We were playing whole away and we were getting absolutely pumped about 3-4-1 or four, one it was. And... Stephen Caldwell wasn't feeling very well in the ad I think he'd woke up in the morning and he declared himself fit and he was he was like he was honking. Um and Lee Clark just turned around to me, went, Rob, are you going on? And I went, like where? And he went, centre half. And for me, the manager at the time, he had belief in me. So he believed that I could go at centre half and I could play well. And I did. I went in, I went in next to Curtis Davis and we just we just clicked as a partnership. I, I read him, he read me, we looked after each other. Um, and I just grew into the game and from then on, for the last 15 games, I played centre half, and I kept Stephen Caldwell out of the team. And he was the captain. He was the he was the captain of the team. And yeah, me me and Curtis played then the last 15 games as centre half partnership. And I presumed you you knew Curtis from from West Brom. Did you played played with him there as well? Yeah, yeah. So I played alongside Curtis when he was at West Brom. Um, great player, great character. And um, we like you say, when you when you play with players that you played with before, it just makes your job a lot easier because you understand each other.
0: Yeah. Well, like like I say, it's certainly worked out for you. And I think, um, you know, given that you're still at the club, I think that's one of the kind of ways that it's good to be uh, recognised that you're appreciated, given that you're still kept at the club having played for them. And they've, they've found another role for you now, which you seem to be enjoying quite a lot.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely love helping the youngsters. Good,
0: good. Uh, I, I think that's sort of all for our like general chat, Paul. I think just before we uh, we we end this, I'll hand you over to Will for the Twitter questions that we got when we uh told the fans that you were going to be coming on. And I apologize in advance if there's any rogue ones in there. <laughs> we can we, can the, the, we, can we it for 24 years. Don't worry about it, Will. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise, mate. I'm not surprised.
3: we will try and keep the tonguey cheat ones out if possible. I will just stick to the main one. So Mark Potter's asking, "What was your favourite Bolton game?"
1: Um, cool. I think the uh, the Man City one at home. Uh, we drew three. Was it three three? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love yeah. that was my, that was my first game in after having to spell out the team. And I mean, I was chomping at the bit, and I wanted to prove a point. I wanted to. I wanted to like let Bolton like the fans know because they hadn't really seen me properly. Um, and I just wanted to prove a point and I remember that like the first 10, 15 minutes I was against Sean Mike Phillips and I just smashed him. He took him <laughs> and he went off with a dead leg and he looked at me when he was going off and he went, Like, why? Why Robbo? And I just went, Well, you you're there to be taken, Sean, unfortunately. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good That's a question.
0: Pro, I think is what they call that. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, and from then on, I grew into the game after, because after Sean's a great player. I mean, I, he was such a great player to play against just because he was a test that every time you played against him, he was a test. And I just, I knew I'd got the better of him that day and my confidence grew. And it was, and, and for me, then I had a great run in the team. So yeah, I would say that game really gave me a big lift and I loved it. I loved playing that one. And obviously then the Stoke won 5-0 when we beat him at home 5-0. I'm glad um, to say.
2: I'm surprised you didn't say that one because I'd never seen you have so much space in front of you when when running forward.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know, and that and that was that was that's what I meant. I meant when I obviously when I was in full flow and when I was playing at my best, that was when I knew I was I was in my element, growing as a player and, and enjoying my game. Was that one?
3: Oh, good stuff. T- both uh, fantastic picks there. I must admit, the City game one particularly is a is a memorable one. I remember yeah. that definitely. Um, you obviously mentioned that you still sort of have contact with Matt Taylor. Do you keep in touch at all with, with any of the other old characters?
1: Yeah, I still text um, Gary Cahill and, and Jack Wilkshire. Obviously, class Stu Holden, um, Kev Davis. Every now and then, you keep you keeping in touch with them. I mean, we've we've still got our own group chat, so we've still got our own group oh, chat. Um, so that's that's great because that just showed what a, what a great team spirit we have. Yeah. So when everyone's got something funny to put on the group chat, we do. Even the old staff members, like the old kitmen, like Jimmy Barrow and Cliffy, <laughs> the, as well as your Man City and that. Now they're they're on it as well. So it just shows the togetherness. Robbie Blake, real good characters. Yeah, loved it. Love love being around them people. So so yeah, still in contact with all them all the all them boys that I played with. I no, can tell that you got on enough. really
0: well with Stu. He is, he said on the podcast that we did with him that you were the most underrated player that he, he could pick out from his time at the club. So clearly there was a good relationship there.
1: Yeah, I love my time with Stu. Um like now we still like even our partners, Caroline and and, and Cara, uh, Stu's partner, we're we're still in, in contact over social media because they're in America sort of different time zones. So yeah, I mean you, you keep them friends for life just because of the way that we were together and the way we enjoyed each other's company. Yeah, he, nice, he, think, uh, he, Stu, again for me, he was another one. He was an unsung hero, Stu. He was just such a good player for the team and he made us click.
2: He wasn't Street, unsung he... for us, but maybe unsung around the the <laughs> Premier League. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah he, he, he could have made it at the top had he not been uh, yeah, uh, played but, by those injuries. I mean, the, the injuries,
1: the, the injuries disgusting disgusting. Mean, it's just horrendous with, with what you have to see a player go through on a continuous basis and to see the way that he kept fighting back and in training, the 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 man's got a, a strong mentality and it's just a shame the way it all ended because if you'd have seen what he did on a daily basis to come back from every injury, you, you'd you cry your eyes out just because you just wanted him to, you wanted it to work for him.
3: It's just so sad, so, so sad to see the way it ended. Yeah, no, I really feel for him, but obviously, he, he just about managed to make a full recovery, I think he said to us, you know, he still feels it occasionally, but, you know, it's not a, it's not at all life affecting. So, no. yeah, no good. See, but um, I, and I know this might be a little bit of a biased question, considering you've got a picture of it on the wall. But do you have mm. a particular best memory from Bolton? <laughs> yeah, <have> at Bolton? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> Let me guess. <laughs> I mean, yeah, obviously the Blackburn
1: game is a, a great memory for me with the celebration. But I'm going to say as well. Uh, <clears throat> I've got loads. It's just, hard to pick, it's just hard to pick, you know, like the next best one to that, the celebration. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the Birmingham's one's probably up there as well. Yeah, the, yeah. The, yeah the semi-final win, I think, uh, the sorry, the quarter-final win, I think that just summed it up. The never-say-die attitude, The like my ball to Chungy and his header was just, do you know what I mean? It's just, it just like a, a great memory to have. And obviously, I lived in the area as well, so I knew I was going to get stick. From all the fans. <laughs> I was about to say. I bet your employees appreciate hearing uh, this. <laughs> so, so yeah, I would have to say that that's got to be the next best memory. Is that one the F, the FA Cup game in the quarterfinals? That 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 result was was just in the last the dying minutes of it scoring that goal. Yeah, so definitely the
3: three-two win at at Birmingham. Good stuff. In relation to that, can you uh, can you disclose whether or not it was just a hopeful pump from the halfway line, or did you fully intentionally for it, for oh, it to right, land wait. on Kev then?
1: Defenders are always going to lie and say it was a well passed <laughs> <laughs> It was. Let's just get the ball forward as quick as we can and try and score. No, to be fair, I was... if you look at if you look at most of my clips over my career, they are. I've got that. I've got that defined ball where uh, where you try and pick the players out. I just thought it was a well weighted pass for Chungie. Um So I'm going to take that as it was a fantastic
3: assist. Good stuff. I'll let you have it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you. goal. Um, but yeah, what else have we got? Did you prefer playing left back or centre back? Obviously, I know you have just spoken about how how much it helped your game in the last few years. But did you have a preference between the two?
1: Oh, yeah, I'd love, I love, I love left back just because of the fact it was my um, as a kid growing up um, until the the later stages of my career. Yes, I loved playing centre. towards the end, and it prolonged my career and made me it made me a different
3: player. But no, I'm going to say left back was. Yeah, I love, I love playing left back. Good shot and stuff. Yeah, you definitely made that position your own at the time. So yeah, don't don't blame me for that at all. Uh, you've obviously mentioned the likes of uh, of Ronaldo and somehow Sean Wright Phillips in the same sentence is going in there. Yeah. Uh, what's the best player you've ever played with and against in your career Uh,
1: well because we're talking about Bolton I'm going to talk about Bolton so the best players I've played with I'm going to say Gary Cahill uh, Kevin Davis Jack Wiltshire so them three for me were standout like with the quality that they had and you knew you knew that Gary and uh, Jack were going to go on to have fantastic careers like they've had and obviously Kev I mean, you can speak as highly as you can of him. The geezer's is an absolute legend. So I love my time with him and he was very underrated. He was an underrated striker in my eyes. Um, and then the players I played against, obviously, there's been so many. It's, But if there was one standout one, yeah, it would be it would be Beckham or Ronaldo out of the two of them. Oh, of course, Beckham as well, yeah. Just because of the fact that you were playing wide right, um, they were playing wide right and you were you're always thinking of a different game plan to play against them. So, yeah, I would say that them two, uh, Beckham and um, Beckham and Ronaldo, were always the biggest challenges to try and play against. Great shots. Um,
3: finally, Joe Cummings asking, do you think Owen Coyle got the best out of that squad as he possibly could have? No, not at all. Um,
1: which is a shame because there was some real good quality in it and... I just think he could have done a lot, lot better with that group of players that he had there, that he, that, that he had
3: in front of him. Yeah, no, fair enough. I can completely see your, your point of view on that. Um, I think we all agree
2: it, there, unfortunately. Yeah, too <laughs> reliant on camaraderie over actual tactical planning.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. I can completely appreciate that. As you say, obviously, you had that, that fallout with him at the end, which is uh, obviously disappointing to hear, but it's it's obviously just, I think everyone agrees with you at the end of the day on that. So. Okay. Yeah, but yeah no brilliant thank you very much for asking the uh, the Twitter questions and I'll hand you back to Tom for the close cheers no worries yeah I think
0: what I would say before we finish here Paul is um, do you have a message for the Bolton fans because I, I think there was quite a few tweets that we got for this I don't know if you've been checking that were very very um, positive memories of your time at the club
1: no I love my time um, obviously I didn't get a chance to say goodbye so um, I'd like to thank the fans for all their support over the three years that I was there it was a, it's a fantastic club a great family club and then I really enjoyed my time there. My family did as well. When they come up and watch the games, they felt they felt welcome. Uh, the club, will, again, will always be in my heart because I played for them. And just to stay strong at this moment in time and, and stay safe, and the football season will hopefully get going. And, and I'm hoping a lot more positive times ahead for Bolton where we'll see them back at the top one day.
0: Yeah, we, we echo that completely, Paul. we sort of hoping against hope that it will come sooner rather than later. Uh, th- thank you very much for talking to us today. It's been a real, real pleasure to speak to you.
1: No worries, fellas. Thank you very much for your time. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. No
0: problem at all. Uh, so if there's nothing left to say, everyone. Thank you very much for listening to uh, Nine of the Street Podcast episode 143 with special guest Paul Robinson. Uh, so say goodbye, Will. Goodbye, Will. Say goodbye, James.
2: Goodbye, James.
0: Say goodbye, Paul. Goodbye, Paul. <laughs> and it's goodbye from me. Salavi.